Well, it is my very um, rich pleasure to um, introduce you to my friend. You got a lot of you guys probably know him, have seen him around here. Um, but this is my buddy Ricardo, and it is my honor to run with this man. Um, he's a mighty man of God, has a sharp knowledge of the scriptures, and uh, really, really proud to call this guy friend. And uh, he he's going to be uh, bringing the word this morning. So would you welcome Ricardo? Thank you. You guys hear me? Loud in the house? Yes. Okay. Um, it's funny that he says uh, a man of God. Uh, today we're going to be talking kind of precisely about that, about being a man of God, and how that's something that's outside of ourselves. Uh, for those of us that are familiar with the gospel, uh, we know that our worth is not in ourselves or in our actions. In fact, today's message is kind of a story. I'm going to put myself on the spotlight. I'm going to warn you, I'm going to get very uncomfortable soon in the message because I'm going to reveal a lot of things about my life from the past that a lot of people don't know. In fact, my aunt is here, and she might not know a lot of these things, but the grace of God, I'm, I'm confident and I'm humbled by the grace of God, and that's why I'm able to stand here before you and reveal a lot of things that are kind of icky about my past. Um, but they tell the story of the gospel of Christ. As we uh, enter this season of Advent, we've decided to start here a series of hope. Specifically, our series is called The Gift of Hope. Throughout these next couple of Sundays, what we'll be doing is looking at different concepts of hope. Specifically, what can we hope on? Um, we're going to see that our hope is a little different than the hope that the world has. Hope, as we use it contextually and in comparison with the world, is something that uh, is based on a certain uncertainty, if you will. Um, but when the world talks about hope... They literally always have that uncertainty. We'll see how we have a certainty in the promises of God. So as Jason mentioned, my name is Ricardo. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, um, I'm a math professor at Cal Baptist University. I know I mentioned math and people freak out. The first thing that people ask me, what do you do? I say, I teach math. And they go, ugh. It's, it, it, I, I, want, I want you to understand, it's not great when every time you tell people what you do, that's the reaction you get. I do math for a living. Oh my, I hated math. Oh, I was so bad at math. I, I can't stand math. Uh, I, I kind of liked it, but I didn't want to deal with it anymore. Those are the usual reactions that I get with math. In fact, my own mother usually uh, makes fun of this. She says that she hates math and that she doesn't want to know about it, that what, what did I do? And then to be a math professor, I had to get a PhD in applied mathematics. And I don't say that boastfully. I did it by the grace of God. I'm not a math genius, on the contrary. Uh, now, when you do a PhD in math, you have to do research in math. And my mom always says, what kind of research do you do? Two plus two is always four. Get out of here. So she usually says, of course. Um, but that's my mom. Um, so today we're looking at one of the hopes that we'll be discussing on this series, which is the hope of righteousness. And we're going to be looking at Galatians 5.5 5 to talk about this hope of righteousness. I hope to be able to share how I looked throughout my life for that hope and how today I'm confident and assured by that hope of righteousness. So again, I'm going to reveal a lot of stuff about myself and my past. So, I'm going to start by reading Galatians 5.5. 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope 
of righteousness. Now, if you are taking notes, I want you to circle, if possible, uh, if you have a pencil or anything like that, the words spirit by faith and hope and righteousness, because those are kind of the four key words that we're going to be going over today and their relationship. And what does that, that just compact sentence really, what does that enclose? What does that give us? We're going to see that there's a lot just in that one sentence. Uh, and uh, at least for my personal life, it's kind of one of my uh, life passages. So the first thing that I'll do in this discussion today is look at what hope is and what righteousness is, meaning what are the definitions of those, and then see what the Bible offers. What's the Bible's perspective? See, there's a difference between the worldview, the secular worldview, in other words, the worldview in absence of Christ, and that that's given to us by the Bible. So we're going to look first at the definitions, and then we'll look at what the Bible says about those two things. Then I hope that I can offer an application as to how to live out Galatians 5.5. So, um, for hope, it's funny because we use hope in a really big range of different scenarios. We use it for trivial things, like we say things like, if you're like me, a Star Wars fan, you say, I hope Bubba Fett is going to be in the new Star Wars movie. I hope he made it out of the of the pit. And, and, and if you're uh, a Lakers fan, then you're saying, I hope the Lakers, you know, win, start winning some games. I hope the old, old Kobe shows up. We, we wish for trivial things like that. I'm, I'm hoping against the Lakers, by the way. Sorry, I'm not a Lakers fan. Sorry, that's an unpopular thing to say here. Ha <laughs> ha, I'm kind of nervous now. Um, uh, maybe you hope for rain. And that, in fact, that's a more serious hope because we're here in the state of California where we're experiencing a drought, so we hope for rain, right? Um, maybe getting more serious and less, uh, maybe more sensitive even, we hope for different political preferences. Maybe we're on the Democrat side, maybe we're on the Republican side, and, and it's, it, nowadays it's like religion. You don't really want to talk about politics unless you know your people in the same room are in the same side that you are. So, and then you say things like, well, I hope the next president is a Republican, or I hope the next president is a Democrat, etc., etc. So hope starts getting a little more serious. What I'd like to do is see what the Oxford English Dictionary says about hope. And there's a couple of different interesting definitions, according to the dictionary, of what hope is. The first thing the dictionary I found in the Oxford English Dictionary is that hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen. I would say that's a pretty all-encompassing definition of what hope is. The second thing I found, it says, is that hope is grounds for believing that something good may happen. I think about this when you go to an interview and you nail it. So you go to your interview, your job interview, and you really feel like you hit all the points. You knock them out of the park. And when you come out of that interview, you're not necessarily sure that you have the job, but you say, you know what, um, I, I feel like I might get that job. I hope I get that job. So when I hear that definition, that's what comes to mind. It's you, you may have grounds for believing that something good has happened. You're not guaranteed of it, but you know that some things went right. Or in an exam, maybe you're a student, you go into the exam, and you know the ten questions you got, eight of them, you nailed. You know those eight questions were right. So you say, you know, I feel pretty good. I think I passed. I think I got at least a B. I hope that's the case. So again, hope can be used in different contexts like that. Other definitions I found uh, for hope. Intend, if possible... 
to do something. That's like when you tell your friend, hey, uh, I hope I'm able to make it to your party tonight. I'm coming out of a church thing and I don't know if I'll be able to make it on time, but I hope to be able to make it there. I hope to be there. And then finally, uh, another definition that I found was uh, pretty awesome in the Oxford Dictionary. It says, a person or thing that may help or save someone. I was like, all right, now we're on the right track. Now we're getting to Jesus. A person or thing that may help or save someone. See, in reality, when we really use hope, we're talking about desperate, last resort. We're saying, "Um, I hope that at this deadline I have the money. I hope I'm able to pay off rent. I have a student right now at CBU. She ha- she's on student loans. And this student, she, um, she doesn't have a lot of income in her family. In fact, her mom doesn't know where she's going to be sleeping next week. Now, this student, of course, is able to live on campus and pay for her tuition via student loans. But her mom uh, is incapacitated and doesn't have a job, or handicapped rather, and um, and they're in a very tight situation. Her parents got divorced and the father was the main source of income. The student comes to my office every week and she says, I hope mom has money next week. I hope mom has a place to stay. I hope she's not living in a hotel. I hope that uh, we can spend Thanksgiving together. That was an actual concern she told me last week. Um, and of course, uh, we tried to do everything possible to enable it and praise God she was able to uh, spend Thanksgiving with her mom and her sister. But the situation's not solved. She's still hoping. She texted me today and said, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly still what's happening with mom, so keep us in prayer. Hope can get very serious. Some of the more serious types of hopes, I hope for healing. I hope for this person being able to survive a procedure or, or being kept from death. We hope for a lot of serious things and in desperate times. That's the type of hope I'm interested in, in addressing here. Those are the serious ones. Sometimes we hope for getting accepted into programs if we're students, uh, passing classes, uh, or uh, being able to get or keep a job, something we've even talked about here, having enough money. The truth is, hope, here's the way I see it, hope increases as desperation is, increases, right? When we can control things ourselves, when I, you know, when I, you know, maybe I'm Jason, I sit here and I start playing guitar and I'm in control. I, I can hit all the chords and I know exactly what to do. But maybe one of the guitar strings breaks or maybe goes slightly off tune. At that point, Jason or myself, whoever's playing, or Mark, is in hope. I hope this doesn't ruin the song. You're in a desperation mode, right? Sometimes Chris's seat in the drum uh, might be a little shifty or falls out, or maybe one of the drum skins breaks. At that point, we're in hope. We can't say, stop the song, let's fix this. Desperation increases, and then hope increases. That's usually how it is. And the problem is not all hope is guaranteed. So, the first thing I want to say is in summarizing the definition of hope, I would say that hope, plain and simple, is the expectation of an outcome that may or may not be possible. And as I said, kind of a sideline to that, side note to that is, it increases uh, as our desperation increases. The other thing I'd like to do, given that we've read this passage, is look at the definition of righteous. Now remember, I'm talking about Galatians 5.5 5 here as our central passage, and it says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So what does righteous mean? That word gets thrown around a lot. And I'm going to start by plainly and simply saying what the Bible says about that. 
Righteousness is not, or a person being righteous is not necessarily someone that's good. We have many variant definitions about that in society. Righteous, a person is righteous if a person follows God's moral law without failing. That's perfection. That's crazy. But that's what righteous is. Righteous is a person following all of God's moral law without failing. It, it's kind of daunting and intimidating. And it kind of supposed to be is. That's where Jesus comes into the picture. So, what's the difference, now that we've defined hope and righteousness, what's the difference that the Bible or the gospel makes in those definitions and the way we use them? The first bullet point that you'll find in your notes is that hope in the promises of God is a guaranteed hope. Hope in the promises of God is a guaranteed hope. Secure, guaranteed. Uh, when I think about this, um, I, have, I have people in my life who tell me, I don't like sitting in a movie where there's a lot of tension and I don't know what's going to happen the, to the character. Um, a, a friend of mine usually, uh, would ask his son, would say, hey, is this character going to make it at the end of the movie because uh, I don't want to get attached to him if something bad's going to happen to the character. I, I, I kind of want to know what happens. I'm not that type of person. I enjoy films and I enjoy the type of emotional swing that they take you through, right? Where you're like oh, caring for the character. You want to know what's going to happen. But at the same time, you want to discover it, go through the process with the character. That's what movies do. They move you to tears or to hope and joy. And so I like going through that. But other people say, no, 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 I, you know, I want to know if Glenn is alive. I want to know if Jon Snow is alive, right? No spoilers. I'm not spoiling. But some people like spoilers, right? Some people like them. The majority of us don't. But then it got me thinking, why do these people, this select small group of people, why do they like the spoiler? Why do they fear that attachment? And it got me thinking, if you were the character in the story, would you not want the spoiler? And I would admit, at least for me, if I were the character in the story, I would want to know if there's a happy ending to my story or not. I would want to know if I'm going to make it out of it. I would want to know all the circumstances, if possible, to how my story ends. So spoilers kind of make sense. And here's the thing. When we look at the Bible and we talk about hope in the promises of God, this is a promise by God. It means it's secure, it's set, it's unmovable. That gives us the happy ending. We've fast-forwarded to the end of the story of our movie. Now, that doesn't mean that everything turns out circumstantially amazing. It means that we get promises such as resurrection, righteousness, sanctification, communion with God. Communion and closeness and proximity with Jesus Christ. He's our buddy. He's our, uh, our comfort. Uh, Jeff was saying that, that uh, he counsels us. Um, Jesus Christ, having communion with Jesus Christ, that's the, the greatest of all desires. So we have that guaranteed, secure hope. We do know how the story ends to an extent. We don't know. Some of us go through different trials. We, we face tragedy. Mark shared a couple of weeks ago about the tragedy that his family had to face. We face all different circumstances, but at the end there's victory in the resurrection and the righteousness that's available through Jesus Christ. And that's powerful. Because at the end, even though we go through things, there's a happy ending. It's like if you go and watch the Lord of the Rings movies and you know how they end. You see those characters go through a lot of turmoil. But if you know how it all ends at the end, 
you know what's going to happen, there's a positive joy that's foreseeing and waiting and expecting, hoping for that good thing to happen. Doesn't matter what I'm going through right now, that joy and that celebration and that communion with God is going to be there. And that trumps, surpasses everything else. That's amazing. So, being able to fast forward, let me share with you some passages about this. Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, this is a popular one, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Notice the word, key word there, hope again. Faith is in there as well. Assurance. The other passage, Hebrews 10.23. In Hebrews 10.23, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Once again, promise, faithfulness, guaranteed, secure hope. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Again, hope to the world, hope in certain circumstances that we have is not guaranteed, but hope in the righteousness and the victory over death through Jesus Christ, that's secure, that's guaranteed. We can look forward to that. It all has a happy ending, a resurrection, a new creation. It's a guaranteed hope, secure. One time, I'll share this very briefly. I talked to Jason about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was going through a very tough time in my life, and I did something crazy. I prayed, and I said to God, God, I am going to meet you today at the park at 5 o'clock because I have no one else to talk to. I don't know how you're going to give... I need an answer to something and no one else can help me. Not my mom, not my dad, not my sisters, not anyone. I need you to give me a verbal answer. It wasn't defiant. It wasn't demanding. It was faithful. I was saying, God, I know that if you want to speak to me, you can speak to me. So I went to the park. I sat down on a bench and I waited. And I started looking for weird things. Maybe the birds move in a weird pattern. Maybe someone, uh, maybe a, an apparition comes by and says, I am in charge and blah, blah, blah. I, I was waiting for all sorts of different things. And I sat there at the bench and just when I'm about to give up, the park was empty. There was one person doing laps around the park. She's walking by, she passes my bench, and she stops. And she says, that problem you have, God just told me that you need to put it in his hands. It was, it's to this day, the most mind-blowing moment I've had in my life. I came to tears. A lot of you can say it's coincidence. Maybe we'll say, oh, it's just a coincidence. There's too much that's happened after that in answer to that prayer in my life that guarantees that was God verbally speaking to me. I can tell you with all honesty, God answered that prayer. And here's a funny thing. He didn't tell me, he didn't tell me the answer I was looking for. He said, just put it in my hands. I've got it in control. It's coming later. That was enough though. It got me going. I had secure hope in God because I knew he said he has it in his hands. He had it in his hands. Bullet point number two. We hope to be righteous because we are not righteous. Now, I discovered this the hard way in life. Very quickly, let me walk you through some of the things that I discovered. I always believed in God as a little kid, but I didn't get how God and myself worked along. How do I please God? I, I just knew I needed to 
behave well. And I read the Bible in a wrong way. I started flipping through passages, selecting here, there, reading, and all I was finding was I had to be perfect. God knew what he was doing, though. He was showing me that perfection is the only thing that meets his standards and that I can't meet those standards. So I went through this struggle of trying to live up to every possible command I found in the Bible, and oh, how did I fail. In the process, I was diagnosed with OCD. I have OCD, which is a... uh, uh, anxiety disorder, and it's uh, correlated in some senses with a deficiency of serotonin. Now, I'm not the Jack Nicholson type of OCD, if you've seen as good as it gets. I'm not the type that washes my hands all the time, and I'm not necessarily jumping over lines to not touch them, to make sure that I, if I cross one line with the right leg, then the other one's with the leg, left leg. I don't do that. Mines are pure O, pure obsessions. Um, what that means is that I have a lot of obsessions and compulsions in my head, and they were all religious. So I walked around with a cross here, and I started kissing it all the time. If I'm driving and the cross on the rearview mirror starts swinging around, I grab it, and I kiss it, and I do a lot of weird things, a lot of really weird things. They were rational in my head, but that's, that's just who I was. And to this day, I take a pill for it every day. I take an SSRI. And I don't have shame in admitting it because mental health is important. But what it did was God graced me with OCD, even though I hated it at first, because it revealed meticulously how imperfect I was. I would talk to people. I'd talk to priests and ask them, look, if I confess my sin with you, priest, when I walk out the door, I'm already sinning with my thoughts. I run into people and I have an anger fit. I run into people and I might lust. I run into people and I might tell a lie. A small one, just a tad little lie. But it's a lie. And so what I discovered is that I am so imperfect in every little thing. That's what OCD revealed for me. It didn't allow me to take the world's definition of righteousness, which is, oh, you're mostly good, so you're good. Nope, I am imperfect. And it came with a big emotional blow because the more I tried, the more I failed. On top of my OCD, I developed some very bad things. I was exposed at a young age to pornography and I developed some, I guess you could say maybe, addictions to lust and pornography. And the problem was, I was like the man in Romans 7. I was the guy that was saying, I don't want to do this anymore, but I keep doing it. I keep doing it. And it was a life of struggle between my will and what I wanted really to please God with. I wanted to please God by putting those sins in the past, but they were just... They, I, I'd, I'd promise myself, I'll do it one last time and that's it. I'll do it one last time and that's it. And that never works. That never works. What we need is freedom, as the song that Jason was singing. Freedom reigns in this, in this place. That's what we need. Freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the chains of sin. To break free. I tell you, nothing was more comforting when I discovered this all through experiences, through, then seeing in the Bible the very same thing. Romans 3.10. It says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It made sense. Woo! I can't do it. We're all imperfect. I sin. I can't help myself. It's in our DNA. It's in our spiritual DNA. 
when I read it in the Bible, it was so liberating because I realized, oh, I can't, I, I, I can't help myself. The next question became, how do I fix this problem? That's where the third bullet point comes in. Our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans 3.21-24, through 24, I found these key words, faith, righteousness, that we've been talking about. I know I'm running out of time, so I'll read through them very quickly. They say, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. There it is. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Praise Jesus that everyone's like me. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That, that was just, again, liberating because now I know that I can receive this gospel and be free, but I clashed with it at first because of my religious upbringing. And I fought with a pastor who was back then introducing me to the gospel. I said, what do you mean it's all forgiven? So you're saying I forget, I, I make true repentance and it's all done? That's the scandal of grace. It's ridiculous. It's unfair. Precisely. It's unfair because I'm not good enough. But He makes me righteous. That's the hope for righteousness. He gives me His own righteousness. In fact, on top of that, not only does He declare me righteous legally before God, which by the way, righteous means being good according to the moral law. He declares me righteous in spite of my inability to do it. And then He gives me the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1, 12-14. Uh, I'm going to go specifically to where it says, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, again, security, guaranteed hope, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. At the beginning of that scripture in verse 12, it says, so that we who were the first to hope, again, the key word, to hope, Bullet point number four, our hope is in the defeat of sin in our life. That was the next step. I was declared legally righteous. How do I defeat remaining sin in my life? Because, yeah, Jesus Christ made me uh, righteous before the sight of God, but I, ha- I still have sin that I struggle with. I was still struggling with those th- things. In fact, I was already a Christian, and the struggle was so real that one time in grad school in Arizona... I did what I thought I'd never do. Pornography and lust led me to a one-night stand. And it was the worst feeling of my life. I'm a Christian. What am I doing? I called a friend. I confessed. I told him, look, man, I'm struggling with this. I thought this wouldn't take a hold of me, and it did. I did something horrible. And he shared with me, and he prayed with me. And then I started finding out about how the Holy Spirit... Freedom reigns in this place. How the Holy Spirit frees you. Our hope is in the defeat of sin in our life. So how do we do it? Well, Romans 6, 17-18 says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. But I still didn't understand how. Okay, I'm free from sin. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, a little more. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. My next question is, how do I do that? How do I walk by the Spirit? What does that mean? I don't know what walk by the Spirit means. What do you mean by that? 
And finally, the answer came in Galatians 3, which gives us our last bullet point. God works a miracle in us by hearing with faith. By hearing, once again, with faith. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 through 6, it says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And here it is. Here it is. Praise God. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The key was hearing with faith. And if you notice at the beginning of that passage, of that passage, it says, at the beginning, you begun by the Spirit. That means continue by the Spirit. Do we wield the sword of God? Do I let the Word of God dwell richly in me? When I wake up, do I open Facebook or do I open my Bible app? When I have lunch, am I trying to make time for God? Do I take times during the day to pray to God? Or is social media overtaking that? I was a victim of that. Do I let the Word of God escape me? What does it mean to hear with faith? God works a miracle in us by hearing with faith. That means go back to the Gospel, man. you got to listen to it. It says in Ephesians 6, in fact, that it's the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The only offensive part of of the armor of God. That's a whole other subject. But here's the point. Jesus, when he faced temptation in the desert, how did he respond to the devil? The word, the sword. He responded with the word of God. That's powerful. Think about how your prayer, your interactions, your walk, your talk, your job, all changes if you're dwelling in the Word of God. Let the Word of God dwell richly in you. When I started every day praying and reading the Word of God in a, as Jason and, and Mark said the other day, marinating. I let that marinate in my life. Every day, the Word of God and praying consistently, the desires started to be defeated. The desires started to go away. They still come back every once in a while. But I'm dwelling and marinating so much in the Word of God and praying that it overcomes the desires of the flesh. I want to show you this last picture um, that we have here uh, in closing with Galatians 5.5. This is what it means to be a spirit walker. A spirit walker is a person who defeats sin. How do you do it? You pray in the spirit and you wield the word, the sword of the spirit. Wield that sword. Hold it every day dearly. Use it mightily. Imagine a church that goes to the world with the word in such a powerful way that when people talk to you, that's what comes out. It's the word, the living, active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The word of God comes out and chops up any arguments, any falsehoods claimed against the word. Imagine how you influence the people around you, people going through trial and affliction, and you respond with the Word of God. There's nothing more powerful than the Word of God, I guarantee it. And if you want to defeat sin, that's how you do it. I, I am a witness of that. I put it in defeat, those sins of the past. Oh, I'm imperfect still. But 
Letting the Word dwell richly in me, as Colossians says. That's making the difference. Praying every day, that's the difference. Saying, God, I can't. Give me your Word. Even your prayer changes in that. As we close now, I'll say a word of prayer for us. For those of us who might not be that connected yet, that we seek to have fellowship with Christ in the Word. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you give us a passion, a passion that seeks, a desire that seeks to be with you in communion by hearing with faith. That same one desire that we had when we became believers, that same one desire that it still stays there, that we're passionate, thirsty, and we seek comfort and rest in the word of God. Let it dwell richly in us, Lord, that we wield the spirit against a world full of lies and a world full of hopelessness. We have the hope of righteousness. Oh, thank you for your promises, Lord God. I pray that you connect us once again to your word. And for those of you that, and for the the people here that might not know Jesus Christ, Lord, I ask that you give them that hope of righteousness, fresh, new. I pray that at this moment they make the prayer that the thief on the cross said, uh, remember me when I am in, when you are in heaven, remember me, for I am a sinner. As, as we pray for this, we also prepare our hearts to give as the ushers come forward to take our tithes and offerings. I pray that, uh, we give not, not a lot, just what we, what, what God puts in our heart to give, Lord. What we feel that God is asking us to give our tithes and our offerings, Lord. May this church be a church of hearing with faith so that we can continue to hope joyfully prosper, with prosperity in uh, the hope of righteousness. We pray these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.